morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear listeners. Welcome to Floaters. My name is Sophia, and I'm coming to you live from Studio Wardrobe, which is crucially an animal-free zone. I've uh, I've been up to my ears with animals and wildlife recently, and I am donezo for now. Uh, we've had a couple of incidents around the house uh, to do with a particular species, particular animal. Not dogs, not my dog friends, crucially, I should mention as well. Uh, my uh, dog friends, Bertie and Gus, uh, nothing to do with this uh, this attitude that I am presenting you with. But um, I'll tell you a little story. So we begin with incident number one. Incident number one. I was in my kitchen and I glanced out the window into our garden and I thought I saw something running along our garden fence, like in a straight line. And it was brown, right? And I was like, is that, what is that? Is that an animal? Is that a... And then, because it, it disappeared so quickly, it was a glance, a fleeting glance. I thought, well, maybe it was a, maybe it's a leaf or something. Maybe it's a, a leaf. And now we move on to instant number two. Instant number two, I went into the garage to retrieve a shoebox filled with chocolate. Let me explain. My German grandmother sends us chocolate. Kinder chocolate and all sorts of other German chocolate for us, uh, which is all very sweet. So I go in there to get it and um, I look at the top of the shoebox and I'm like, what is that? And it looks to me like droppings, small little droppings on the top of the shoebox. It's been on top of a shelf in the garage. And I tell my mum and my sister this. They both start saying, no, 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 that's that's not poo. That can't be poo. It's seeds. And I'm like, seeds? What the hell are seeds doing dropping from our garage ceiling like what what's the rationale and then they start saying well, i'm overreacting don't worry it's nothing blah 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 i open the box and there's even more inside the box it's just it's weird so we just transfer all the chocolate back into the kitchen rather than in the garage and um now i move on to incident number two incident number two nuts in the boot allow me to explain i go to put my walking boots on because I'm about to take the dogs out for a walk. I don't know what possessed me, but I turned over one of my boots and out came 20 plus peanuts. Peanuts! I'm thinking to myself, who's been having a snack in the garage? Who, Who's decided to come in here for a sneaky snack? And a secretive snack. Why do they feel they have to eat peanuts in, in the garage? And then allow quite a hefty amount to just fall into my boot. We start checking all the other boots and it's only every sort of other one. Very fucking weird. And now the crescendo incident number four, fucking incident number four. So my older sister starts going through her boxes and stuff uh, from the garage and we discover there's loads more of this shit everywhere. Loads more droppings. And she's like, oh, we might have a mouse. And I'm like, oh, no way. So she brings one of the uh, one of the boxes into the kitchen because she's like, yeah, it's just covered in crap. So I've got to clean it all. It's all her kitchen stuff from um, her old flat. And as she's like, she's gone off to do something. I'm looking through this box trying to see if I can take anything out. And as I'm going through it, all of a sudden I see these two little eyeballs staring right back up at me from inside the box. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a mouse, a mouse in the house. And because I start shouting, mouse, uh, Teresa comes running in and the mouse jumps out of the box. And I start closing all the doors thinking we can't have it running through the house. I'm closing all the doors. I'm opening the door to the to the garden, hoping it's going to run out. But it just keeps running 
not towards the garden, not where you want it to go. So it's all a bit chaotic. Teresa then jumps on the kitchen counter. She starts hysterically like laughing and crying and screaming at the same time. She's having a she's having a moment. I'm running after this mouse and saying, cheese, we need cheese. Because in my brain, all that Tom and Jerry has taught me Mice like cheese, lure them out with cheese. So I grab a baby bell from out the fridge. I'm flinging bits of it all over. And eventually we get it out the house. We go through everything else. And fucking hell, there's so much shit everywhere. And then uh, eventually we went through um, another box. There were five mice in there. Five. And I just want to let you know, you think that was a long story. This is the abbreviated version. There were so many twists and turns to this. But fuck me. Mouse in the house. Not an, not a pleasant experience. But listen, my guest today has had much more exciting experiences with wildlife and Mother Nature herself. And uh, my guest is the writer and activist, Celine Collins. I was blown away by, by some of the stories she uh, she told me of her childhood and growing up and boat life and uh, like literally so much that I think it, it took my breath away a few times. You might hear that. So, um... Without further ado, as you know, dedicated listeners, that uh, I always begin my podcast asking my guest where they grew up. I was born in England, just outside of Sunderland. I've been informed by my grandpa. I always thought it was a different place, but it turns out I was born in Sunderland. Um, Then when I was about a month old, my family moved to Florida and we stayed there for seven years, saving up money. And when I was seven years old, we bought a boat in the Caribbean, sailed around the Caribbean, and then made it to Colombia, Panama, Ecuador, and Peru. And then by the time I was 14, we sailed back across the Atlantic to Ireland and then back to England. (laughs) Oh my goodness me. And all that sailing. So did you say, you? just let me get this right. You sailed back to across the Atlantic, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness me. What was that like? Well, it was like not the best way because the best way to cross the Atlantic is from the UK to the US because you've got a whole bunch of like weather stuff that I don't understand on your side then. Um, so we were kind of going against the grain and also we had a hurricane on our tail. Like not a horrible hurricane or anything. It was more of a tropical storm. But it had like formed around the same time that we set off from Panama, and then it kind of like lingered around like the south of the Caribbean when we went up to Florida and stayed in Key West for a few months or maybe weeks. I don't know time. <laughs> and then we were going like up the U.S. coast to around New York, and it followed us. Like it broke the normal pattern of storms to follow us. And then when we started sailing across the Atlantic, it followed us. <laughs> So really, like, the boat was on a 70-degree angle, just tilted over for about four days before we reached the Azores, and we were like, you know, let's just pull in here for a bit. We're tired of lists. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I mean, so how many of you were on the boat? Um, Four, if you include my cat. So it was my parents and me and Pasha. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And and so... uh, I can't imagine, was it quite a big boat that you were on, or? Um, bigger than some boats, smaller than others. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, yeah, it wasn't a mega yacht or anything like that. It was just, I guess there was a back cabin, which could seat two people. 
um, two bathrooms, like a galley and a navigation area that were like the same kind of place. And then a little bit of a lounge that could seat a few people. And then front cabin, which is where I slept. Oh my so, goodness, that is extraordinary. I mean, so both your, I imagine, so both your parents are, are very seasoned uh, sailors. Yeah, that's actually how they met. Like my dad ran a, well, first off, he built his first boat in his backyard, much to his wife's disgust. Um, then after the divorce, he started um, sailing around and like getting people to pay him to sail them like to different islands in Scotland. And my mum was always quite sporty, so she was on this like kayaking type thing, only she had an injured arm. So she sees this boat that's out in the middle of the water, and so she just paddles over to it as best she can, and my dad hold her up out of the water. Oh, and wow. I assume it was just immediately like, will you marry me? <laughs> oh, wow. <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a fantastic story. And so when you got to like the Caribbean, I mean, was that sort of a, a lifelong goal for your parents then to be able to, to do that? Actually, they'd been there like 20 years before. So when they finally did decide to date, my dad was like, would you like to hop on a boat with me and go to the Caribbean? And my mum was like, yeah, sure, what the heck? And so they sailed across the Atlantic and down to the Caribbean and they lounged around there for a while. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is the proper nomad lifestyle right there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. They've got lots of crazy stories. <laughs> Oh my God, I can imagine. Okay, I, I think we'll probably only scratch the surface in this conversation, but oh my God. So all the questions running through my brain. Um, let's start with, um, so how was, I mean, how was schooling for you? Because I can't imagine you were, were you, were you docked in certain places and you just go to school there? Or how did that work for you guys? Yeah, I think some people would like live on a boat and have kids and decide to dock in a place for a long time and send their kid to school there, but we never did that. So with me, it was always homeschooling. And when we started with homeschooling, like they'd gotten a few reports from my teachers that I was way behind in maths and I was way ahead in English. So they were like, okay. Or my mum was like, my dad didn't want anything to do with teaching me because I was a terror child. Um, yeah, my mum decided, okay, we're just going to focus on maths until she's good at it and not really do anything else, like no reading, because I was doing that myself. Uh, and yeah, every single day, apart from on Christmas and on my birthday, we would be learning the times tables. She would like make me do pages and pages of algebra and things like that. And yeah, I just wanted to be outside like smashing rocks together. So there was a lot of tears, lots of screaming. <laughs> But now I can do algebra, so I guess it paid off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because um, I imagine as well, like being out at sea and also going from place to place and visiting all these different extraordinary countries. Like, there's so much to learn as well, just like off the boat and also from sailing and things. I mean, can you sail? Are you are you quite good at sailing now? I'm embarrassingly bad. <laughs> like my parents never taught me anything so i just sort of watched it going on around me so i don't know maybe i'll have like a karate kid moment if i ever go back on a boat where i realize oh hey my body knows how to do this my brain doesn't <laughs> yeah who knows it might just yeah just kick right back in i mean what was your favorite do you have like a favorite place that you guys ended up in at all <laughs> um i mean i know that's a million dollar question that one <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. That's the one question every TCK hates. <laughs> um, yeah, I have oh, a few for a few different reasons. So I guess once we went through the Panama Canal and into the Pacific Ocean, that was when I started to like fall in love with sailing. Because that's when I started doing like nighttime watches and things like that. And in the Pacific Ocean at nighttime, they have bioluminescence, which is basically like a bunch of little microorganisms in the water that like light up at the slightest movement. And so when you're sailing on a boat, it just looks like you're leaving behind a trail of fairy dust. And so just like watching that for hours on end between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. while I was keeping out lookout for rocks and pirates and things. Oh my goodness, that sounds magical. I mean, I've only ever seen that on like... I'm a big David Attenborough fan, you see. So I've only seen it on programs like that. But I can only imagine how that must have been amazing. And how old were you when when you were around there? Um, I guess between the ages of twelve and thirteen. Oh my god, that is so cute. I could totally imagine, like, <laughs> yeah, being that age and just watching this, yeah, like you say, fairy dust behind the boat. That must have been so amazing. I mean, um, and what do you have another highlight for us at all? Ooh. I have a highlight that's kind of like the opposite. It's a lot less magical. <laughs> yeah, so in Panama, we stayed at this marina and there was a bunch of other kids there at the same time. So that was a lot of fun. And we like just started to like make friends and get to know each other. And th this one guy came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to go to the prison in the middle of the night? And I was like, what? What prison? And they were like, uh, come on, let's grab a flashlight and go. And I was like, okay, knocked on the deck of my boat. Mom, they're taking me to prison. Bye. <laughs> so <laughs> my dad like threw me a head torch out the hatch. And he was like, go on. <laughs> and basically I joined this group of about like five to eight kids and one dad. And we walked into the jungle and we were getting like deeper and deeper. Like this was the part of the marina that my mum had told me never to go into. Because like she was always like, stay near the main road, don't do anything dangerous. And we were walking and like the road stopped being a road. It started just being like crunchy leaves and like eventually just dirt and mud. And we come to this like opening and it's just ruins of an old military outpost. But this must have been like a prison as I was accurately told. And there was a bunch of um, like windows with no glass and doors, doorways with no doors. And a lot of these would have been like taken over with by the jungle spiders, which are massive and terrifying. But we found a doorway that didn't have any spiders in it, luckily, and turned on all the torches. And it was all this like graffiti and bats and cockroaches. And all sorts of things. And so that was a lot of fun until two little assholes from the back of the group, but they snuck around the side and came in through a different way. And then they just jumped out in front of us in the dark and scared us. <laughs> oh my God. I would have been so furious at those people. Yeah. I think I nearly took one of my new friends and threw them at him just out <laughs> of terror. <laughs> good reactions. That's good reactions there. <laughs> I mean, you'd make do with what you've got on a boat and there were a lot of small kids there, so... <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's extraordinary. I mean, I can't imagine... You, did you have any other sort of encounters with like, um, with like wildlife and things or sea creatures as you were um, sailing across, across the world? Yeah, I think 
Or the pretentious one that my dad likes to tell people is that we would go, like, sailing, obviously, and there would be, like, dolphins that like to come up, like, aside from the front of the boat, because they like to sort of, like, mooch off of the current so that they don't have to actually swim, so they're just drifting. And I think that happened to us so many times that my parents would be like, come on up, Sarah, there's dolphins at the boat. And I'd be like, not again, I just want to (laughs) sleep. (laughs) Oh my goodness! What a what a life! Uh, dolphins become uh, just a, a normal part of life. That's that's amazing. Um, so, and what age did you sort of stop stop moving around on the boat and living on the boat? Yeah, that was when I was fourteen, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I think I had my fourteenth birthday in Ireland, so we would just finish crossing the Atlantic, and then we came across to Lancashire, which is where we've stayed up until now. Mm-hmm. And what was the what was the decision that like led your parents to say right no more sailing or I mean do, do they still sail? Um, I think they talk about it a lot, but not so much anymore because they've both gotten a bit older. My dad's got Parkinson's now, but um, yeah, the original decision was because basically I'd outgrown all of the textbooks that we had on board, so homeschooling had reached a point where my mum couldn't learn all of the new stuff that she had to teach me. And I was already passing like GCSE papers that I wasn't supposed to be taking for another two years. So they were like, you know, maybe she just needs to go to school now. We're tired <laughs> of this. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it's a lot of effort as well for your parents to like, not only just homeschool, but also run the run the boat and, you know, mm-hmm. do all the extra sort of stuff that comes with that. Um, Cause that's no easy feat. And also you have to be very physically fit um, I, from what I gather to be able to, to do things like that. I mean, um, but, uh, and how did you find the transition from being, you know, being adrift to, yeah, settling on, on land? Um, I think I was very, very confused for my first mm, six years or so. <laughs> it takes me a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were still living on the boat when I started high school and I started high school like two weeks late. So I was already like, why is this random person just turned up? And it was a very small school, like 200 pupils across all of the age groups. So if something weird happened, everyone knew about it. And so I was that weird thing. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I don't think that assimilation really applied to me throughout high school. Like I remember, oh, what happened? So many things. Like, um, this one girl asked me where I was from because she didn't understand my accent. And I was like, oh, I'm from um, South America. Because I thought, yeah, that encapsulates everything. And she was like, where's that? And I was like, huh? <laughs> How can, that's a continent. How can you not know? <laughs> and so from then on, I just decided to say I was from Florida. But occasionally I like to shake it up and just like say, um, someone asked, where are you from? I'd throw in Panama, I'd throw out Colombia, Florida. So I had about 50 backstories that were all flowing around and they'd all been heard firsthand. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds... I Plenty could... of friends that I couldn't have made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder, that must have been quite mind-boggling for, especially if it's such a small town that you 
that you were uh, going to school in. Um, and and for someone like yourself, who's had so many extraordinary experiences quite early on, um, and to be put into like something so stationary, that must have been quite quite a shock to the system, especially if people didn't know where your you know your home places were. I mean, yesterday I was speaking to someone, and they said uh, they called it their their heart homes, like where all the places they've lived, like. Um, mm. And um, I mean, I remember when I got went to school for the first time in the UK after living in Estonia for five years. And um, I remember one of the girls, I think they said something like, because I said, oh, I, I lived in Estonia. And they're like, oh, was that in Italy? Or they didn't even know where Estonia was. And I was like, huh? No, it's not. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> even as a, I mean, it sounds pretentious to say it like that, but also, you know, as a, as a you know, eight-year-old kid, I was just like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't compute why you don't compute. It was really weird. <laughs> and, um, oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess just like, if you're not from that background, like I knew nothing about European geography, so I didn't know where France was, or was that basic, but I knew where every single country in South America was. So, yeah, I guess just, I don't know what I'm trying to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> worry about it too much <laughs> no, um, but uh yeah it, it is it's a it's a weird thing I mean so now where you where have you found yourself settling or, or, or how long have you been in like where you are right now um since 2014 so I guess I've been in Lancashire for about seven years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we moved into this house I guess in 2016 and actually before the pandemic I was planning to go to Malta to be a teacher mm -hmm. and yeah that fell through pretty fast when all of the borders closed and I was like okay I guess I'll do something else for the rest <laughs> of my life now oh god <laughs> really whiny 19 year old <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean um it, the pandemic does not care about anyone's plans as it turns out it's just uh, it's thrown a lot of plans like out in the trash um yeah. but uh uh so how are you finding, like, because before the pandemic hit, did you still, were you still able to do some sort of traveling? Are you someone who has the travel bug? Yeah, I definitely have the travel bug. Like every couple of weeks, I'm Googling plane tickets to Mexico, which is really painful now because the pandemic's made them so cheap. <laughs> but yeah, so every time there was a university trip, I would sign up to that immediately and just sort of get anything discounted where I could. and. Yeah, definitely. I think about like getting a job on a boat or whatever every other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are you keen to get back on like into like sailing and stuff like that or living the sort of sea life? Yeah, at the moment I'm big into it, I think, because I've just been in one place for mm. so long. <laughs> I think yeah, I have but... land sickness now, opposite <laughs> of sea sickness. <laughs> oh, I bet. I I bet. I mean, do you think do you think that'd be something that like I mean, this is completely looking far into the future, but, you know, because of your upbringing, do you think you would ever consider, like, if you eventually had children, um, having that sort of upbringing for them as well? I think it depends. If they were an only child, I'd probably travel with them, but not on a boat, because only children, when they grow up on boats, turn out very weird, myself included. <laughs> And then the ones that have siblings to like talk to and scream at every other day, they turn out like a lot better. Well, not better, but like normal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> what makes you say that? I mean, I wonder, because like, what was it like with the making friends and things? Like, were you able to make friends when you docked in like the different places in South America? Um, it really depended where and when. So like sometimes we'd come into an anchorage and we'd go out over the radio like, hey, does anyone have a kid? We have a kid too. Can we just like put them together, please? And someone else would come on the radio like, oh, one just left. And we'd be dang it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so not very often were there boat kids around. But whenever there were, we would be like best friends within about 10 minutes of meeting. We'd just find anything we could in common. Like, what? You love on a boat? Me too. We have everything in common. <laughs> That's really nice, though, that you guys, you know, uh, I think, I guess with uh, boat kids, there's a, you know, you, there's this immediate sort of, right, let's make friends. We don't know how long we're going to be here for, but let's just, let's play or let's do this and that, um, which uh, is a quite a, yeah, it's a skill that's quite um, common amongst people who travel a lot. It's like the quick, quick friend fix. <laughs> Yeah, like, I have a lot of friends that I've only known in person for a day, but, like, I keep up with what they're doing on Facebook, and hopefully they do the same. <laughs> if no one's stalking you, then who are you? <laughs> God, ain't that the truth, yeah. <laughs> oh, and so what do you do, what do you do now? Like, what's your, what's your line of profession? Yeah, at the moment I'm an editor for, like, articles about CBD. And so I just sort of look at commas all day. Or if someone said broad spectrum when they meant full spectrum, I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a remote sort of position then that you've got? Or, and, and, and did you choose it because you could be able to move around? Yeah, definitely. I think I always wanted a remote job anyway, so I could move around. And then when the pandemic hit, I wanted a job so or remote job so that I wouldn't have to move around like at all. And so, yeah, I think it's the best of both worlds, really. Yeah, definitely. Like now that there's a pandemic as well, like you're able to still keep working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the company is actually run by a bunch of TCKs as well. So that was very nice to hear in my interviews. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Um, that's yeah. so nice when you can find that sort of community of people that um, you really relate to. Because, um, uh, yeah, and I wonder, like, how... How do you feel about like um, change more broadly speaking? Like, are you someone who after a few years you're, you're ready for like the next place, the next job, the next challenge, or um, are you feeling a bit more settled these days? Yeah, I think I went through a period where I was settled, which was in university. But now that that's kind of over, I'm like, okay, you know, I need a big change. <laughs> I've been in the same city for like, as I said, seven years. Whereas my life before that was moving like every week or every few days. So definitely a bunch of big changes. Like a lot of the time I have to battle that little boat voice in my head that wants to change everything every few hours and yeah, keep moving all the time. But I think at the moment, definitely I'm staying in Lancashire until the pandemic's passed and then who knows, maybe I'll make it to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. who don't, Well, hopefully you will. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and how do your parents cope with them? Like how have they been with like being stationary? Uh, like since you got back? Yeah, I think they've been a lot better than I have because they both grew up as like land people. And so like, I think my mum, Hmm. Yeah, she's definitely enjoyed not having to teach me anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and she's a lot less shouty than she used to be in my childhood, which we're all very happy about. <laughs> Her included. <laughs> yeah, my dad, he talks a lot about getting back out to sea. And we're all like, okay, we'll see about that. We'll see. We have to fix up the boat first. The boat is now out of the water, being completely renovated and maybe getting ready to be sold. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe there will be one grand sailing adventure down to Italy or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that must be quite an emotional sort of part of your family's life for the boat, that, that particular boat as well. It's taken you, like it's been like your constant throughout all these years. Yeah, definitely. Like if I have a home country, it is that boat. But then like going and seeing it now where we've taken all of the cupboards out and like removed all of the pillowcases and just sort of, taken the guts out of the boat because the engine needs some repairs and things like that there's definitely not the same kind of feeling as like when the boat was properly alive so mm. it was kind of sad but i'll definitely be happy if we can sell her and she can keep on having that kind of sailing life she's a good boat <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's looked after you and your family very well um and it's interesting that you say like that that's like your like your home the thing you identify maybe as home but um I wonder if there's like a different um if there's a particular culture that you identify the most with or mm. um or whether you find yourself floating between your sort of in your uh, unique cocktail of cultures that's within you Yeah I think probably closer to being a cocktail because even now like I don't really identify that much with American culture or British culture and I didn't really stay that many places for long enough in South America to be properly influenced. I think like six months was the most we ever stayed anywhere which was like enough to have some influence but not as much as like the traditional TCK kind of thing where you're going to school every day and interacting with people every day. So yeah I think I'm pretty much my own little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that you say like a traditional TCK thing because I I kind of f feel like that sometimes as well. But, but I mean, each individual TCK journey is like like it's all different for different reasons. But there is that sort of I suppose international school for this many years, and then maybe hop from country to country. And in some ways, I feel a bit of an imposter myself because while my parents did hop for co from country to country, and we did go like especially as we went older just for holidays and I stayed mainly in the UK. Um, sometimes I feel like maybe, do I still count? Like, cause it's such a different experience um, because you are stationary at the same time as still living out of a suitcase cause you're having to travel every three or four weeks or something. Um, but uh, I wonder, yeah, how did you come across the term TCK and, and how did that sort of affect the way you sort of saw your, your upbringing? So, yeah, I was in a cafe with one of my friends and she was like, oh, I saw a post on Instagram about TCKs. And I looked at her and was like, huh, what are those? And she looked at me real funny and went, oh, those are you, Celine. <laughs> so I was like, huh? And she explained like, oh, it's a person that's traveled like a bunch throughout their childhood and they have these kinds of like effects and this sort of identity crisis going on all the time. And I was like, you've read me way too well for someone that I've only known a few months. And so, yeah, I wrote it down on a napkin and then came home and Googled it. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> a more solid foundation of who I am, I guess. 
started reading lots of books about it and it was the first time I'd really like recognize myself in any upbringing of like any characters or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must have been quite a, a big moment for you as well. I mean, considering that you've gone from from joining a school in a very small community after living this extraordinary life during your formative years and then like sort of feeling slightly out of place. So it must have been, I imagine, quite a relief almost to come across something like the term. Yeah, definitely. I think in high school, I was more of like the freaky boat girl. And I was like, hey, now there's a reason I was a freak. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Freaky boat girl. That sounds like it could be like a band name or even like the name of a book. I love that. Yeah, I quite (laughs) like it as well. Like even in high school, I kind of like didn't push that kind of moniker away like some people understood my backstory so little that they just made up like different rumors so one girl called me over in like a break time and was like hey Celine do you talk to dead people can you understand ghosts and I was like yeah sure why not and I just walked away and left her with that (laughs) (laughs) oh my god kids are extraordinary aren't they they'll they'll come up with anything yeah definitely (laughs) It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I love that you owned that, by the way. I love that you were like, yeah, okay, I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was it like? I mean, were you able to confide in your parents and things when you were having trouble sort of um, making those connections at school? Yeah, I think, well, not so much my parents, but I kept in touch over Facebook with a lot of other boat kids who, like, we basically all went through the same thing, but in different years. So my best boat friend, he joined school, like, the year after me, and it was a bigger school in a smaller town, so he kind of had, like, the opposite effect, where, like, he wasn't really the weird new kid at all. He was just, like, another person, and so that was weird for him. And then another friend went to boarding school, and I think she came out very well adjusted, I guess, by being surrounded by TCKs all the time. And yeah, basically it was like one after the other, we started going to school and going through the same thing. So it was kind of like a weird support network. <laughs> no, that's great that you were able to find that and you could all sort of help each other and and um, <laughs> through all your different experiences. Um, that's uh, that must have been quite quite nice to sort of have that like like a nice cushion effect almost to help you through it. Yeah, definitely. I think I can remember the exact moment that I gave up on the land kids at my high school, and it was like about a week in, so maybe I was a bit weak willed there. <laughs> but I was outside just like hanging around with these girls, and I was like, "Oh yeah, when I was in Peru, we used to do this, this, and this." And they were like, "You know, you never say anything normal. It's always when I was in Peru, when I was in Caribbean." And I was like, "Up until that point, that had been my life." So I didn't have like any fun supermarket stories to talk about or anything that like they thought wasn't show offy. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna keep quiet and talk to my Facebook friends when I get home. This will be fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, I hate that. That's so like oh, because yeah, up until that point, like that's your life. Like, what else are you supposed to talk about? Like, w- yeah. you know, what you had for <laughs> breakfast that morning, or you know, because um, that's your your life, your experience. I mean, I had like one or two experiences like that where people were like you just talk about Colombia all the time that's all you talk about and I was like that's where my that's where my parents are this is I just came back from the Easter holidays like that's where I'd be like I'm sorry I'm sorry I don't have anything else to talk about but um 
but it wasn't like it, i mean because I, I didn't think i came off as like braggy or anything it was just it's a fact of life you know yeah it's just life what's the problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god and it's so frustrating as well i think when it's like it is you know it's so much a part of you as well and it feels like almost a rejection of that certain part or even like you know because we're quite i mean humans are complicated anyway we're completely multifaceted faceted but then when someone rejects that it's rejecting you know a sort of yeah one of your hearts like one of your really important places so oh sorry that that story speaks to me it really that hit me <laughs> right there right there <laughs> nice <laughs> Um, and what's your relationship with like with languages and stuff like are you do you speak Spanish and uh, I don't know what other languages would there be in Portuguese did you make it to Brazil in the end did you say or um no no Brazil just yeah. Spanish-speaking countries so I speak like enough to get by and enough to like order food off of a menu in Spanish because that's pretty much all we did um or like get directions or hire a taxi but apart from that can't really say that I'm fluent at the moment. I have about 10 different Spanish textbooks under my desk right now, just gathering dust. <laughs> well, those are all the important things, of course, you know, ordering yeah. food, getting a taxi just to get by. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember um, I was trying to, because I'm trying to, I, I always try my best with my German and I should be better considering I have a German mother. Um, <laughs> But, um, and I'd really tried like one time when we went to, um, I went on holiday to Berlin with a friend and I was like, I'm really going to try. I'm going to like get by in German. But then everyone started speaking English to me and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll I'm just going to have to speak English. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. Like I've had a few school trips to go to Spain and everyone in Spain tries to speak English to you if they know you're English. And all of the English people I was with were trying to get me to speak in English. And I was like, no, I'm practicing. I've made my mind up. I will die on this hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so at the moment, um, living in, in Lancashire and everything, and um, would you say you feel like quite, do you feel like you're from Lancashire now? Are you feeling like more sort of a part of the community there? Um. Probably not. I think one of the reasons I enjoyed university so much was it was like the first time I'd actually managed to make friends in Lancashire. And now that none of them have actually stayed in Lancashire, I'm like, okay, there's nothing really for me here. There's a few good cafes that I'd miss. But apart from that, it's just like another place, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. No, I guess, uh, yeah, that must be quite frustrating because you've just, <laughs> you wanted to establish yourself there and now they've all gone. But I suppose, yeah, um, yeah it's that thing of, um, as you're, yeah, I, as a TCK, I suppose it's that thing of like being able to make those friends and then all of a sudden being able to say goodbye to them so quickly. It's like a, um, it's like a, what's, what's, oh, conveyor belt. It's like a conveyor belt of friends. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> conveyor belt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think in like a really sucky way, the pandemic helped me sort of say goodbye to those friends because we were like, oh, we'll be back for graduation next month, next month, next month. And sort of like, we've still not sort of gotten to the point where no one's coming back to Lancashire yet, but we all kind of know, like, it's mm. going to be a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so uh, what did you study at university, by the way? Uh, English literature and creative writing. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So do you, do you write your own stuff as well? Yeah, definitely. I've got 
like a few self-published books and I'm working on getting some things traditionally published and things like that. Oh, awesome. What, what, tell us about your books. Oh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I have yeah, one called Not All Roses Are Red, which is a book of sort of comedic kind of poetry that I wrote when I was 18 with the mindset of a 14-year-old boy, that kind of sense of humor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, lots of stuff about, like, love, and it's all really cynical, and a few things that are just, like, weird comparisons, like Queen Victoria turning into a goth and things like that. <laughs> and, that sounds brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to read that sort of stuff. I mean, where, where, is that available somewhere for people to read? Yeah, that's on Amazon. Oh my God, amazing. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and was there something else as well that you said you've you've published? Yeah, so most recently, I, oh, card fell down. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's this book called In Support of Black Lives, which is, well, it says edited by S. Collins, but yeah, me. Uh, <laughs> and basically this was a project that I helped put together Um sort of in support of the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd happened this, or last summer. And yeah, it was a bunch of writers that sort of decided, yeah, we're going to come together and sort of put something together and raise a little bit of money for charity. So inside the book, there's essays on like how to talk to your family about racism and how to sort of like think about it in a more productive way that can maybe help some people. And there's like poems from people of color about like their experiences and their thoughts and a few short stories and at the back of the book there's a bunch of like anti-racism resources charities like useful movies to watch and that kind of thing with just a few little like non-racism related short stories in like a little section at the back as well just in case you need to take a break from the rest of the book (laughs) (laughs) wow that sounds brilliant that's um so how did you go about getting involved with that project so basically I was watching like all of the chaos happening in America after George Floyd and I was like you know I really should do something about this like I'm not getting a job at this point because I'd graduated but job searching in the pandemic was horrible um would not recommend and so yeah I had a little bit of publishing experience because I'd come out with that book of poetry when I was 18 And then I'd been in charge of some other publishing projects with the university. And so I was like, you know, I'll try this, I guess. Hopefully it's not offensive. And I asked a few people if it would be offensive and they were like, "Eh, I don't think so. And so put out a call for submissions over Instagram and got like a ton of people saying, hey, I've got a poem, I've got a short story and things like that. And yeah, then decided, well, chose the two charities that all of the proceeds would go to which are Know Your Rights Camp, which is run by Colin Kaepernick, I hope I'm saying that right, and um, the National Bail Fund. So two really great places to donate to. Um, Yeah, and then once I got all the submissions together, I was like, okay, I'll just edit it all and put it together in a way that makes sense. And had a book and got one of my friends from university to do the cover, which was very, very nice of her. She's Alice's Fresh Doodles on Instagram. (laughs) yeah so really it was just nice to work with a bunch of people and during such a dark time and hopefully do a bit of good 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 I think it's great that you you took that initiative and um, and really took it upon yourself to like make something out of this and uh, and yeah, put all those voices together. I mean, I'm really excited to take a look at it. That sounds it's a really worthwhile project, and I'm glad that something like that exists in the world. Thank you, thank you very much. So have you got any other, so you've got some plans to get to publish some other things uh, the proper way, yes, <laughs> you, as you said. Um, so what's your, what's your next project? What, what's, what's next for Celine? Oh, I have too many things. <laughs> um, at the moment, I have a few little picture books that I'm looking into, like trying to find an agent. Um, I've written two other books that are like YA, one's a dystopia and one's a Western. So I'm still trying to sort of find a genre. And also I'm hoping to do another anthology this summer that's like in support of Black Lives, but it's for the um, missing and murdered indigenous women crisis. So that's in Canada and the US primarily, but also kind of all over the world. But Canada and the US is where we're focusing on. Mm -hmm. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, I can't wait to hear all about that. Um, and um, I wondered, is there anything today that you would like to plug or promote? Yeah. Um, I have two blogs. So one of them is litlangerslife.wordpress.com. And that's where I kind of write about writing like tutorials, how to find agents, how to like sort of conform to certain genres and write a good B plot or a good romance and things like that. And then my other blog, I've just changed the name of it, so I really need to remember, um, culturallyconfused.food.blog. <laughs> so that is where I write about all sorts of TCK stuff, travel stuff, and occasionally really weird recipes like chocolate gnocchi. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it offends a lot of people, but I invented it myself, so <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Definitely worth trying, I think, yeah. Yeah, if you can get the textures and the balance right, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put all the things as well for everyone to come, go follow you, go check out all of your things and um, see more. And also for extraordinary eyeshadow and lippy combinations as well, because <laughs> I'm trying to take inspiration from that. Absolutely. <laughs> for whenever I can wear makeup again, because I'm not doing that at the moment, unfortunately. I've got nowhere to go. I'm going to dress up for my dogs. Actually, maybe, maybe I should do that. I don't know. In the show notes, there are links for Celine's social media, her blogs, and through those, there are links where you can find out more about how to get your hands on one of her books. So go check those out. And um, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, review, comment, subscribe. And we're on all the podcasting platforms. And if you want to keep up to date with all things floaters, give us a follow on Instagram at floaters underscore podcast. Uh, we've also got an email. I don't know if I mentioned it. May have mentioned it a few times, a few times. It's floaterspod at gmail.com. And there's nothing left to say other than Thanks once again to Celine for chatting with me. Uh, thanks to Adora for your help with graphics and Aral for your sound help. His website's also in the show notes. And thank you to you, dear listener. Until next time. Bye-bye.